0: Morning everyone. It's an absolute gift to be here. I love this church and I know guest speakers have to say that but I want to let you know most guest speakers are lying when they say that. Um, I really, really mean it and I, I can say that because... You tend to fall in love with the people that you pray for and you tend to fall in love with the places that you pray for. And Evan and I have been in a community of pastors that over the last decade, we've made an intentional decision to walk together closely. We meet as a group of pastors for one week every year. We laugh together, we cry together, we pray together and we learn from one another. So over the last six years of your story, I've kind of been hearing what the Lord has been doing. It's brought to to me, to hear the stories of this church coming alive in faith. So to be in the room is an unbelievable gift. I'm so excited to be here. Why don't we pray? Lord, as we open up the scriptures, we ask that you would speak to us. And we pray that you would awaken faith in this place. And by your spirit, would you fan into flame the gift of faith? Awaken our hearts our minds, our souls, our bodies, our beings to who you are and to what you're up to in this part of California. And all God's people said, Amen. Let let me start with a story that will hopefully frame this message and maybe even frame the cultural moment we find ourselves in. So my wife and I, we've got three kids, Ben's, Josh, Olive, 14, 12, 10. So if you rewind the clock, maybe five plus years. Um, Every night I went through the same routine. So I would take them to bed. I would pray with them. And eventually my wife and I would go to bed. And then around two or three in the morning, this would happen every single night. I'd hear one of them say, Daddy. Daddy. And I did what any loving parent would do. I ignored that voice. Um, but the voice kept going, Daddy. Daddy. So I tried rebuking that voice in the name of Jesus. Um, And that didn't work either. Just kept going, Daddy. So eventually my wife would elbow me, kick me, and be like, the kids are calling you. So I'd I'd run upstairs, and it would be one of the three. Um, I'd go into their room, and normally there'd be some level of panic, and they'd say something like, Dad, I think there's a monster under the bed. I think there's a monster under the bed. So I would check under the bed, because you never know. I'd have a quick check under the bed, and I'd say, look, no, there's no monsters under the bed. They normally hide in the cupboards anyway. They're definitely not under the bed. And then they'd say, but no, I think there's a, there's a shadowy figure in the corner. And normally it would be an item of clothing that's casting a shadow. And I'd be like, no, 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 that's just a piece of clothing. And I'd remove the piece of clothing. And then they'd often say something like, dad, I, I think there's a fox in the house. So we have a problem with urban foxes. They often jump over the wall into our back garden. And they're like, I think one of the foxes has got into the house. And I'd say, no, no, no. There's only one fox in this house, and that's your mum, and she's fast asleep right now. She is de- the, no other foxes in this house. Um, and then eventually, I would climb into bed with one of the kids. I would hold on to them, and I'd say, it's all right, Daddy's here. It's all right, Daddy's here. And then I'd fall asleep with them, and eventually we'd both wake up at daylight. And I think I learned something significant, it happened every single night for years, I think I learned something significant, that there is an antidote to fear, particularly fear of the dark, and the antidote to fear isn't just the arrival of daylight, it's the presence of the Father in the midst of the darkness. Now culturally speaking, this moment feels pretty dark. Like levels of despair rising, suicide rates in the West rising, mental health crisis. It feels pretty dark right now, and it seems to me what the Spirit is up to right now is pouring out the presence of Jesus, holding us in the midst of the darkness and saying, it's all right, I'm here. Now, we're praying for daylight. We are praying for the dawn to break, like an outpouring of the Spirit, but right now it feels like the Spirit's saying, I'm here, I'm here, I'm pouring out my presence upon you. Which is why it's fascinating to me as I look across, particularly the Western world. I've just come back from South Africa, spent quite a bit of time in the States this last year. It seems across churches in many, many different contexts, people are saying the water levels seem to be rising. The spiritual hunger in the church seems to be rising. That the sense of God's manifest presence in the room when we gather, it just seems to be rising. Um, And for me, I experienced something of this when I came to the States to visit Kentucky, Um, 8th of February, some of you will know the story of the Asbury outpouring, but for those that aren't aware of the story, on the 8th of February this year, at a compulsory chapel service um, where, you know, a couple of thousand students were gathering to worship at the end of the service, and apparently it was an average service. Like, I spoke to the guy, Zach, who preached at the service. He said at the end of the the service, he phoned his wife and said, I've just preached. I had a howler. Can you put some fried food in the oven? I need comfort. I'm coming home. I want fried food. Like, he felt like it had completely tanked. But at the end of that service, 19 students came to the front to hold on to the altar rails, to basically say, Jesus, we want to get right with you. And for whatever reason, the Spirit fell in power, Um, And rumors began to spread across the campus. There's something happening in the chapel. We need to get back. And dozens started to return. Dozens started to return. Soon it was hundreds. It then became thousands. And over the next 16 days, that one-hour compulsory chapel service became 16 days of 24-7 prayer with over 100,000 people from across the world coming to lean in to see what the Spirit was up to. Now as part of that, I got on a plane because I'm so hungry for the presence of Jesus. If the presence of Jesus is moving in power in a particular place, I'm gonna try and get there, right? I'm just so hungry right now. So I got on a plane. Arrived in Kentucky, hired a car, drove to this tiny town, Wilmore, parked up the car, walked towards the Hughes Auditorium, which is just a great name for an auditorium. Um, And as I entered the Hughes Auditorium, what I saw in that space was both totally underwhelming and totally overwhelming. Underwhelming in the sense that I walked in, it was just a room like this, people singing. The sound, honestly, was average. Um, The musicianship, it was pretty average. There were no lyrics on any screens. They were just singing familiar choruses. The teaching was very simple. No lighting, no smoke machines, right? None of that. So at one level, totally underwhelming. Honestly, I was thinking, why is everyone talking about Asby right now? Because it's underwhelming. And then when my eyes were opened to see what was really happening, that's when it became overwhelming. Because the presence of God was so thick in that place, people didn't want to leave the room. There were stories of students grabbing their mattresses dragging it into the auditorium because they didn't even want to go home to sleep. They didn't want to leave the room where the presence of God was thick in the room. Like students were packing three meals a day because they didn't even want to leave the sanctuary for a bite to eat. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, spiritual hunger like you've never seen it before. Now I say this. Like I um, was born in the late 70s um, and was massively shaped by a move of the spirit that hit the UK, actually came from California, off the back of the Jesus movement, and then the the kind of charismatic renewal movement hit the UK. So as a seven, eight, nine-year-old, it was very familiar for me to walk into rooms like this where the presence of God and the power of God was manifest in a really beautiful way. Like, it it was normal for me to see people supernaturally healed. It was normal to see grown men and women, like, weeping and shaking under the power of God, falling in the spirit. Like, I've seen that. I've seen and witnessed stories of incredible deliverance, people getting set free, all of that. that. That became a norm for me at a very young age. So when I heard there'd been an outpouring of the Spirit at Asbury, I was expecting more of the same. But this felt very, very different. If the charismatic renewal movement was really the church rediscovering the power of the Spirit, this felt different. This felt like the church rediscovering the presence of Jesus, reprioritizing the presence of Jesus. It feels dark right now. Churches across the globe are knocking on the door of heaven, praying for a revival in the church that will lead to an awakening in the surrounding culture. But it seems right now the Spirit is drawing close and saying, I want you to enjoy my presence. I want you to enjoy my presence. This is my sense I sense this is a threshold moment for us in the church. So I just want to read the text that was read earlier and suggest that maybe this text is for such a time as this. So, my beloved spoke and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. See, the winter is past, the rains are over and gone, flowers appear on the earth, the season of singing has come, the cooing of doves is heard in our land, the fig tree forms its early fruit, the blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, wake up, my darling, my beautiful one, my church, come with me. Like, could it be? that we're seeing a season shift. We've experienced winter, but maybe spring is beginning to dawn upon us. And biblically speaking, this shift from winter to spring is marked out by spring rains. And what the spring rains do is they soften the ground and prepare the ground for abundance. What if the outpouring of the Spirit that many of us are experiencing in our churches is is the spring rains to soften the ground to prepare us for abundance? So perhaps there's a season shift, winter to spring. Or to shift metaphor, we've been praying for the dawn to break. What if we're beginning to experience that? Or to shift metaphor one more time, what if we've been in the wilderness and we're beginning to see the wilderness break out in abundance? Now, let me just take you on a biblical journey of of what life in the wilderness really looks like. I'm going to read some texts to you um, from the prophets. I'm going to start with Joel chapter 1. This is the prophet articulating, spiritually speaking, what the wilderness feels like. The fields are ruined. The ground is dried up. The grain is destroyed. The new wine is dried up. Heartbreaking. The olive oil fails. Despair you farmers. Wail you vine growers. Grieve for the wheat and the barley because the harvest of the field is destroyed. The vine is dried up. The fig tree is withered. The pomegranate, the palm and the apple tree. All of the trees of the field are dried up and surely the people's joy is withered away. The summary would be there is no wine. There is no wine. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 10. A 10-acre ten vineyard will produce only a bath of wine. A homer of seed will yield only an ether of grain. Summary is there is no wine. The answer is always going to be wine. And just in case you want to participate, the answer is always going to be wine. Okay. Next verse, Jeremiah chapter 8, I will take away their harvest, declares the Lord. There'll be no grapes on the vine, there'll be no figs on the tree, and their leaves will wither. What I have given them will be taken from them. Summary, there is no wine. No wine. No wine. I think we as a church have been operating, particularly in the West, in a season that has felt like a wilderness. And yes, I'm talking about COVID, but I'm talking something far bigger than just COVID. Spiritually speaking, the advance of secularism, the the dryness in the church. I think what we've been learning to do is learning to be faithful in adversity. But let's just be really honest. On our darker days, we've been surviving scarcity. On our darker days, we've just been like gripping on, just trying to get through in a moment that has felt like scarcity. Like talking to people in COVID and then in post-COVID, it's like, I just need to survive. I'm just trying to survive. But what if we're experiencing a season shift? What if we're moving from scarcity into a preparation for abundance, so what happens when the wilderness breaks into new life? Let's read from some of the same prophets. Joel 3, 18. In that days, the mountains will drip new. Wine. The answer is always going to be wine. And the hills will flow with milk. All the ravines of Judah will run with water. A fountain will flow out of the Lord's house and will water the valleys. Amos chapter 9. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. In other words, a moment will come where there's such abundance you'll be sowing and reaping simultaneously, right? What an amazing thought. New, wine. always wine, will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. And I'll bring my people Israel back from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They'll plant vineyards and drink there. They'll make gardens and eat their fruits. So we've been journeying through this moment of scarcity. But what if the challenge of this next season was learning to steward abundance? What if churches that have been just trying to hold on break out into life and don't really know how to handle the the prodigals coming home, the sense of abundance that's everywhere? This is what I think we need to get ready for. So surviving scarcity, shifting to stewarding abundance. And the sign of this is the spring rain It's not just Asbury, right? The outpouring of Asbury spread across universities across the US. If you talk to many pastors in Australia, in the UK, in South Africa, a lot of people are saying, do you know what? There's a spiritual hunger like I've never seen before. There is a spiritual openness like I've never witnessed before. The sound of singing in our gatherings, it feels like people actually believe what they're singing. These are really exciting days for the church. And I know, and you know, that new wine needs new wineskins, right? Jesus said that. Like, if you put the new wine into old wineskins, it will destroy the wineskins, it will destroy the wine. The new wine needs new wineskins. And I don't fully know what the new wineskins will look like in the context of San Diego let alone the context of central London. But I, I think I've seen enough both at Asbury through traveling and through the, what, what the Lord is doing in London to have a sense of some things that feel like real priorities to the heart of God in a moment like this. So I just I want to name what I sense we need to prioritize in a moment like this. So number one is consecration. Consecration. Joshua 3, consecrate yourself today, tomorrow I'm going to do great things among you. Now we're praying for the great things of tomorrow, right? But the Lord would say, today you need to consecrate yourself. If if you're hungry for the presence of God, if you want to ascend the hill of the Lord, Psalm 24, you're going to need clean hands and a pure heart. Like I'm seeing this in the church that we're pastoring, like Gen Z, even Gen Alpha, so hungry for the presence of God, climbing the mountain and basically recognizing I need to confess my sin. There's stuff that's in the way. I'm so hungry to get to the top. I just need to get rid of these impurities. I want a clean hands and I want a pure heart because I'm desperate to ascend the hill of the Lord. Consecration really matters. Something happened in Asbury, day two or three, so this one-hour chapel service became 24-7 prayer and worship. Now, if you're a worship leader and you're doing 24 hours of non-stop worship, that is exhausting, right? So they basically had to train up loads of worship leaders. Um, So what they did is they had 90-minute shifts. So you're on for 90 minutes, like do every song that you possibly know, and then do it again, And then do it again, and then there'll be a baton change. And another band will come up, and they'll lead for 90 minutes, right? And they realized about two or three days in, what seems really important to the heart of God is that our hearts are pure. So we need to create a consecration room. So before we go on stage, there's a place for us to get right with God. So every musician, every worship leader, everyone on the ministry team, everyone giving a short devotion had to spend half an hour in the consecration room before they got on stage. No green room, like with snacks and nibbles for the VIPs. No green room, just a consecration room where there were prophets and intercessors helping people get right with God. Like, worship leaders on their knees, confessing their darkest sins because they were so desperate to get right with God. So by the time they got onto the stage and started to lead worship, the purity of the worship, it was so, so beautiful. Like, as I said, the musicianship, average. Like, but the purity of the worship, so beautiful. Some of the big worship artists from the U.S. were like getting in touch with the Asbury crowd, saying, look, we've seen some of the worship online. It sounds horrific. Would you like us to come and lead worship for you? Um, And the guy stewarding this move, the spirit, basically said, no, it's fine. These 19-year-olds might not sound great, but the purity of the worship is like nothing we've experienced before. So, So thanks for getting in touch. But if you want to come and just be part of it, feel free. But we don't need you to lead, right? Consecration matters. So when I got home to London, I said to our worship team, like, we need to take consecration seriously. We want to send the hill of the Lord. We need clean hands and a pure heart, right? So so I would rather a worship leader, I'd rather a musician that was average in their skill set, but with a consecrated heart. And I would rather our teachers to be like average communicators but with a consecrated heart and I'd rather our small group leaders have consecrated heart than be unbelievably gifted but their hearts not be consecrated consecration matters if we want to send the hill of the Lord we need clean hands um, and we need a pure heart this is a picture of the auditorium and I just want to zoom in on the the banner that was communicating over the room holiness unto the Lord Holiness unto the Lord. If if you read stories of every move of God, on my sabbatical a few years ago, I just did a tour of significant spots where the Spirit had moved in power. I spent a week um, in the Hebrides where the 1949 Hebridean revival broke out. I spent a week in Wales where the 1904 revival broke out. I spent a week um, in Anaheim because the weather's unbelievable and the beaches nearby are phenomenal and there was a move of the Spirit there. Um, I I was just trying to soak it up visiting the site of the Azusa Street revival. If you read the stories, there are two forerunners. To every move of the spirit, right? The church begins to pray with more passion. Like apathy just does one and the church start praying with passion. Secondly, the church starts taking holiness seriously and, and, and starts taking confession of sin seriously. So firstly, we need consecration. Secondly, I've just mentioned it, confession of sin. Confession of sin what I witnessed at uh, Asbury, and we're seeing something very similar sweep through the church in the UK, is a younger generation waking up to the realization and the power of confessing their sins to one another. So in this auditorium, 2,000 or so people, the cues to come to the front, not to receive the power of the Spirit, but just to confess their sins, the cues were like an hour long, right? Like thick, thick. Young guys and young women desperate to confess their sins, like, which is crazy, unbelievable. Um, and what they'd do is they'd get to the front, and it wasn't like, oh, I've done X, Y, Z, and a quick, yeah, forgiven, great. Um, they would spend half an hour literally pouring out their heart and soul to someone in prayer. I spoke to one of the ladies, Helen who was part of the ministry team, and she said, I I take people on a simple journey as they confess their sins. I start by saying, what do you want to confess? And it isn't hard work. People just start pouring it out. Like their sexual sins and their suicidal ideation and things that they've been struggling with and areas of brokenness. It's like the taps have just been turned on. People are so hungry for more of the presence. They realize sin is an obstacle and just taps on. It all comes out. I let them confess their sins. That normally takes 20 30 minutes okay so first C she walked through four C's firstly confession of sin secondly I invite them to cancel the permission that's been given to the enemy to be at work in their lives because sometimes our sin creates an access point for the enemy to run right in our lives and I basically say to these young guys you need to cancel that permission You need to say to the enemy, You have zero permission to be at work in my thinking, in my heart, in my soul, in my body, in my being. I cancel permission. I take back the keys. You're not invited to be at work in my life. Confession of sins. Cancel permission. Then we command the darkness to go. Simple prayer commanding the darkness to go, which leaves an emptiness. So we then pray, Come, Holy Spirit. Confession of sins cancel permission, command darkness to go, come Holy Spirit, and then the love of the Father just poured into their hearts by the Spirit. And honestly, these cues of students coming to confess their sins, by the time they walked back to their seats, their faces had fundamentally changed. The countenance, they were glowing, radiating the glory of God. You would expect in a room with 2,000 right, Gen Zs like confessing their darkest thoughts, that would be a heavy atmosphere, right? Like, <gasps> complete opposite. The joy in the room was extraordinary. The joy in the room was extraordinary. And what I witnessed there, and again, we're beginning to experience some of it, is that the place of confession became the place of deliverance. People were getting free. Now, the darkness of this cultural moment is pretty frightening. And the church in the West has become pretty timid when it comes to deliverance like, panicked. How do we do deliverance ministry in a moment like this? you know, with the overlap of mental health concerns, like how do we do deliverance? And yet we're aware the darkness is real and it's not just external, it's God on the inside. And we've maybe watched a couple of Netflix documentaries and we panic. that exorcism must look like and frothing at the mouth and all that stuff. The model of deliverance I witnessed was so gentle, so humble and unbelievably powerful as people were confessing their sins. And I think the church right now needs to wake up and rediscover the ministry of deliverance. What I've witnessed in churches like this, in a demographic like this, is is we've rediscovered over the last decade spiritual formation. Young people are so passionate about spiritual formation. Like those in their 20s and 30s, they've ruthlessly eliminated hurry. Like I'm telling some of our staff team, you need to speed up a little bit and do some work. Like they've been ruthlessly eliminating hurry. And it's like, okay, um, they they talk about Sabbathing. I've been Sabbathing, game changer. Um, And I've been fasting in between meals, incredible, changed my life. Um, And I've been memorizing scripture. But a lot of people are beginning to say, I'm doing all of these things, but I'm not tasting more freedom. And I don't know what the problem is. And my response to them is simple. The spiritual disciplines don't get you free. It's the blood of Jesus that sets you free, right? It's the cross of Christ that sets you free. What the disciplines do is they take your freedom and enable you to enjoy that freedom. Enjoy the freedom that Christ has given you as free gift. Think of the Exodus narrative. Right, There's a a moment of deliverance at the Red Sea. That's pure gift. They didn't contribute to their deliverance. Pure gift. And then they journey through the waters. They journey through the wilderness. They have this moment at Mount Sinai where they enter into covenant relationship with God. And he gives them the law as a pathway to human flourishing. To enable them to enjoy the freedom that he'd gifted them with. He didn't give the law to them in Egypt as a vehicle to get free. No, freedom was pure gift, an act of grace. And the law was to help them enjoy their freedom. It's the cross of Jesus Christ that sets us free. And these spiritual disciplines, spiritual formation like Sabbath and fasting and and prayer and solitude and scripture memorization, it's all incredibly important to help you enjoy your freedom. But freedom first and then formation deliverance first and then into spiritual disciplines and discipleship and I think we've forgotten as a church to talk about deliverance and the need for people to get set free and what I witnessed in Asbury and what we're experiencing now is through this simple model of confession people are getting delivered of darkness and stepping into the most beautiful freedom. Thirdly then this new wine that's being poured out, I think it's reminding us that there's real power in the gospel. Like, the presence of Jesus has a gravitational pull towards it. I was, I was in Kentucky maybe four days. I saw hundreds of people come to faith. Hundreds of people come to faith. Because they'd walk into the room, just because so many people were talking about it, and they would taste the presence. And the presence caused them to ask so many questions of, I want more of this. Like, this is satisfying the deepest longings of my soul. You need to introduce me to this person. I want to encounter Jesus. What we're seeing right now, I, I think in the UK, is the church rise up with a greater confidence, a greater conviction that the gospel has power to set people free. What's happening simultaneously, right, is we're seeing the church like, grow in spiritual hunger, a hunger for God's presence, we're also seeing a spiritual openness on the streets where people are tearing up the scripts, the secular narratives that they've been handed and basically saying it doesn't work anymore. Like this is happening regularly to us now. People on a Sunday, not like once every few months, pretty much every Sunday someone will come up and say, look, I, I don't go to church. This is new for me, but I just want more of this. That The narratives I'm, I'm living by, they don't work. I'm done with them, I'm tearing up the scripts. It feels like people in this room are aware of a better story. You have to tell me, you have to tell me what is the better story. A Few weeks ago, a Buddhist guy walks into our Sunday morning service, he comes into the cafe, he walks up to our associate pastor, John, and he basically says, I'm a Buddhist by background, but the most compelling figure I've read of in human history is the person of Jesus. Could you introduce me to him? That's easy pickings. Like, that's a story from the Gospels. What must I do to inherit eternal life? You've come to the right place. Here's the answer, right? This is beginning to happen week by week. Let me give you one story. This is of a dear friend of ours um, called Iona. Iona's the one on the left. Um, She's godmother to all our children. Um, And she, this is a couple of months ago, she got on a flight to the 24-7 prayer conference in Belfast. She was at Luton Airport. She thought, I'll just pop by the Mac store um, because I've got a bit of time and that will help feed the addiction. Um, So I'll just pop by the Mac store and as she's looking at makeup, she bumps into this lady, an assistant at the Mac counter and they get talking and Iona says to this lady, I love your necklace, what a beautiful crystal. And the lady says, yeah, I'm deep into the new age. I'm a highly spiritual individual. And Iona says, that's fascinating. I'm a highly spiritual individual. I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus and I love praying for people. Could I pray for you? And she was quite taken back and said, well, okay. Um, And Iona says, well, what can I pray for? And she says, "I, I have chronic back pain if you could pray for healing for my back, that would be amazing. So Iona says, I'd love to pray for you and begins to pray that the Lord would move in power to take away the, the back pain. And as part of that prayer just throws in and I pray you'd reveal yourself to this lady. Like, amen. At the end of the prayer says, look, we don't even know each other's names. What's your name? Um, and this lady says, my name's Harina. And Aina says, well, that's a beautiful name. Do you know what it means? And Harina says, yeah, it means chosen. But I, I don't know what I'm chosen for. Open door, and she says, Well, I believe you're chosen by God, and He wants a relationship with you. Um, the conversation comes to an end. Iona jumps on the plane. Um, fast forward a couple of months, Iona's on a, another trip. She's at Luton Airport. She thinks, I'm just going to go past the max store to feed the addiction. Um, and she's waiting there. Harina isn't there, so she uh, moves on to the perfume counter and then hears this voice, Iona! Iona! And it, it's Harina and they're like, wow, that's cool. And I only said, I can't I can't believe you remember my name. That's amazing. And Harina said, can I tell you the story of the last couple of months? You know, when you prayed for me, um, I didn't tell you at the time, but like a healing gel, it felt like it just ran through my body and I was healed in that moment. I went home and I said to my dad, dad, I think there's power in the name of Jesus. And the dad was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, harina was deep into the new age so she phones up her psychic um just to process some of this and the psychic says to her i'm really sorry harina i can't help you with that stuff anymore um i've given my life to jesus and harina's like "So what like that's incredible just shares what you know she's been going on the journey she's been going on anyway she goes to her dad and says dad is there a bible in the house and the dad says I think there is it's your old grandmother's bible and they they get the bible and Harina prays and says lord I really pray that as I read this book you'd reveal yourself to me she opens up the bible and on the first page of the bible it says Iona now she's telling this story to Iona and Iona basically said my name isn't in the Bible. Are you sure you're reading the Bible? Like what book are you reading? And Harina basically shows her a photo and the first page of the Bible, it was the name of the font. Iona Clearface Font, Um, like crazy, right? And for Harina, that was like just a little moment of like God's at work. Um, Since that moment, she's given her life to Jesus. And this is a picture um, of a few weeks ago, her baptism. She is alive in her faith. Now, we're familiar with stories like this, right? They happen every so often. And we tell them, and we tell them, and we tell them just to build faith. But when these stories are happening with a regularity that feels fresh, you start to wake up and and realise that maybe secularism as a worldview is crumbling. And maybe a younger generation are basically saying that the scripts don't work. I'm hungry for a better story. What if the church woke up in a moment like this and began to proclaim our faith? Like, we need to realise the spiritual atmosphere is shifting in the context of Western cities like this. Like, in the UK, in London, which is known to be aggressively secular, right? Some research was done in 2017. It's called Talking Jesus. Um, And it basically said one in five individuals are open and more than open, hungry to encounter the person of Jesus um, and to explore the person of Jesus. That's one in every five, right? The research was done again in 2022. It's now one in every three. The church aren't aware of the stats, right? Right? so a lot of churches live with the mindset the ground is so tough no one's interested in the person of jesus secularism it's such tough ground and the church needs to wake up and recognize things are shifting like go through your contact list i don't know what the stats would be like in in san diego but let me just speak as a londoner one in every three open curious hungry well, what if the church rose up in a moment like this with a confidence in the power of the gospel to save lives? This is stirring in the church. Consecration as a priority, confession of sin, confidence in the gospel, and I'll land with this, championing the next generation. This is what's been happening at Asbury. This is what's stirring in our church. Let me just read you these words from a theologian that went to visit Asbury. There was no leader... In other words, this wasn't celebrity-driven. The celebrities were told, you can come and visit, but we don't need you to lead. No rival, no envy, no pride, all humility. Meekness, gentle hearts, stumbling sinners, tender students serving thousands of curious visitors in their love for mercy without knowing they're doing so. It's legit. Gen Z write-offs are graciously allowing us to peek in on the surprising work of God as they serve us like priests, unconsciously dragging us into the presence of the Lord through young, redeemed, romantic hearts for God. Christ is being honoured. God is being glorified. The Spirit is at liberty. The real, awkward, cringeworthy gawkers are the over-40s like myself who can't put down their phones. The Z's left theirs at home. Right, I, I, I call that a miracle in terms of, like, levels of miracle. Like, when Gen Z start leaving their phones at home, it's not quite resurrection, but I would say it's a step up from water into wine. You know, as a father with young kids, it's a step up from water into wine, in my humble opinion, right? When people don't want their phones, why? Because they realize all they've ever wanted is the presence of Jesus. All they've ever wanted is the presence of Jesus. And in the presence of Jesus, why would you be feeding your digital addiction? Why would you bother? Because you have everything you need when the presence of Jesus is in the room. So this is what we witnessed. The followers were becoming leaders, the leaders were becoming parents, and the parents were becoming grandparents. Like this was led by Gen Z. This wasn't a move of the spirit for Gen Z. It was led by Gen Z. Pretty much everyone on stage was 19, 20, 21. And the leaders were getting out of the way to invite the Gen Z crowd to, to begin to lead in what the spirit was doing. So the followers are becoming leaders, the leaders' parents, the parents' grandparents, which meant everyone got to play. Everyone got to play. So if you're under the age of 25 in the room, this is my encouragement. It's your time and it's your turn. Something unbelievable in the spirit is happening amongst that demographic. And we need to wake up to it and be incredibly excited by it. If you're a leader in the room, whether in the church context, um, in any context, this is my encouragement. Your days of leading aren't done. You need to continue to lead. But I want to encourage you to add to your leadership the ability to be a spiritual parent, and they are fundamentally different. Leaders tend to be driven by destination. Leaders tend to be visionary junkies, right? They constantly cast vision for over there. Life would be amazing if we were over there. If we planted that church, took on this building project, began this ministry, and and to motivate people to move to there, they begin to articulate the insufficiency of here. Here sucks, doesn't it? And, And if they can help people see that here sucks, others begin to say, you're right. It sucks here, but it's amazing over there. Let's move there. So leaders tend to be driven, and they tend to be driven by destination. But parents operate differently. Parents aren't driven by destination. They try and be present with delight. driven by destination, moving towards being present with delight. When I get home, my three kids want me to be physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally present, right? They want me playing soccer in the garden. It's football in the context of London, so it breaks my heart to call it soccer. But anyway, <laughs> playing soccer in the garden, They want me to be dancing around the kitchen or playing FIFA on the PlayStation, right? They don't want me to be casting vision for how it would be better if we had a bigger garden or if our kitchen was better to dance around or if we were playing this game on the PS5 rather than the PS4. They don't want me to cast a vision for what would be better. They want me to be present with joy, present with delight, right? Now, we're ministering into a context of trauma, just casting more vision actually creates quite high levels of anxiety. I think leadership in this moment is moving people, but part of the moving people into what the Lord has for us is saying, I'm present with delight. Can you see what the Lord is doing? What an exciting moment to be alive. What an exciting moment to be in the church where the hunger for God is rising and the spiritual openness on the streets of San Diego, it's rising. Like God is on the move. Let's be present in this moment. This is such a joy-filled moment, right? not just driven by destination, but present with delight. So the followers becoming leaders, the leaders becoming parents, and the parents becoming grandparents, and everyone gets to play. Spring rains are falling, I believe it. I've seen it now, as I've traveled around. It's not just Kentucky, and it's not just the US. Pretty much everywhere I visit, And pastors that I talk to, they're saying the same stuff. People don't want to leave the worship gatherings. Like the volume of the worship is rising. Like prayer ministry, it just, there's a hunger. More people coming to faith, more baptisms, right? Spring rains are falling, new wine is being poured out. Who knows what the new wineskins will look like in terms of systems and structures, but I think these will be priorities. Consecration matters. If, If you want this... If you want to send the hill of the Lord, you're going to need clean hands and a pure heart. Consecration matters. Confession of sin matters. And the place of confession is becoming the place of deliverance. And people are tasting freedom. And we need freedom in a moment like this. Confidence in the gospel matters, right? Like, there is an openness out there. In, in my context, London, which is known for being aggressively secular, one in three open to a conversation Like, we need to proudly proclaim our faith. Um, And the next generation are rising up. The generation that many have written off, right, they're rising up. Let me close with this. A lady in our church called Emma Heddle, she's a highly prophetic figure. And every so often she'll just say, look, the Lord has spoken to me and I submit it to you to discern, but I think a season shift is coming. And we thought it was just for our church And more and more, I'm realizing, I I think this is for far more than just KXE. This is the winter to spring that I mentioned of. This is daylight beginning to break. This is the wilderness breaking out into life. This was the prophetic word. And I want to speak it over Park Hill this morning. I want to speak it over you. So threshold moments are equally beautiful and terrifying. They have the capacity to make or break the vision. As you stand on the cusp of everything you've ever dared hope for, you survey the land that now lies before you, your eyes tracing the intricate shapes that settle on the horizon. Too good to imagine. This is what has been stirring for so long. This has been the cry of your heart for years, hidden deep down, but now here it is, that first glimpse of dream turned reality within reach right before your very eyes, so nearly there. And as you stand there at the threshold of everything you've ever dared dream about with that cocktail of excitement and fear rising in equal measure, that other voice kicks in. The one that gently tells you to take a step back from the threshold. It whispers to you that passing through the door will have its costs. It's too good to be true. Or even worse, what lies in front of you is all a mirage and you'd be foolish to walk through. It will disappear as soon as you enter. It's better to survey the land from the doorway, to distance yourself from it, just in case, to stand at the threshold, just watching. It's better to quietly let the dream die now, before sacrifices are made, bridges are burned, and there's no safe way back. Threshold moments of power. Many see them as the end of a long journey. They finally glimpse what their hearts have longed for, but they stop, exhausted, and find themselves settling in the doorway to all they've hoped for, never actually crossing through and taking hold of it. Tired and exhausted, they find contentment in the reasoning that they've made it this far, that they can see it from a distance. But the truth is that these threshold moments are just the start of the adventure. They're only just the beginning. So step in, take courage, move forward Park Hill. You've been called. such a time as this should we stand and in a moment we're going to worship after that there's going to be baptisms but right now want to create space for the spirit to move however the spirit wants to move that the spirit would become would, would come just to water seeds of truth that have been planted in hearts and minds this morning Holy Spirit come fill this place Pour out the love of the Father. Soften the dry ground of our hearts. Awaken our spirits to who you are, to what you're doing. Holy Spirit, come. And you you, you can do whatever you want to do, but can I encourage you, if you're up for trying this, just to close your eyes as a simple way of putting aside distractions. And to hold your hands out in this simple posture. Outward postures help us engage in inner realities. We lift our hands in worship. We get on our knees when we surrender and pray. And we hold our hands out when we get ready to receive a gift. Jesus said, I want you to come to me like little kids. Little kids on their birthday, they hold out their hands in full anticipation that they're going to get some gifts. Zero doubt, full anticipation that they're going to get some gifts. And Jesus says, I want you to come to me like that. Hold out your hands with full anticipation that I want to gift you with my presence and my power. How much more will the Father give the Spirit to those that ask? So Holy Spirit, come, we ask. Holy Spirit, come. you're anything like me in moments of waiting like this your mind wanders drifts to what you're doing later other things and when that happens you don't need to beat yourself up but just pull your mind back to this moment with a simple prayer come Holy Spirit and as we learn to do this we learn to wait in God's presence they that wait on the Lord He'll renew their strength. They'll run and not grow weary, walk and not grow faint. Spirit come. In a moment, I'm gonna invite a number of groups to the front if they wanna receive prayer And I'm going to invite you to the front not because there's something magic about the front that we've prayed over the front more than we've prayed over the back. But there is something powerful about stepping out of passivity and stepping into what the Lord is doing. And there is something incredibly powerful about allowing brothers and sisters to lay a hand on your back and say, come Holy Spirit. But the scriptures teach that we fan into flame the gift of faith through the laying on of hands. In other words, when we lay on hands and pray for people, like the Lord intensifies what he's doing. Why why wouldn't we be up for that? So there's three groups I'd love to pray for. Number one, if you're in the room and you you can sense this season shift, that I've mentioned in your own life. There's a spiritual hunger in your own life that feels fresh, a greater appetite for his presence, a greater sense of urgency to pray, a confidence rising in the power of the gospel. You're just sensing this of like, this is happening not just around me, it's happening within me. If that's you, we want to pray for you. We want to bless what the Lord is doing and ask that He'd fan it into flame. And as you catch fire, others will begin to catch it. It will spread as the Lord blesses what He's doing in you. Here's the second group I want to pray for. For those in the room that have heard this message and thought, Do you know what, that's great, but I feel none of this. I feel spiritually unbelievably dry, almost dead. I detect very little evidence of the spring. I'm fully in winter mode. Like living water isn't being poured out in abundance in my life. I feel unbelievably dry. Here's some incredibly good news for those in the room. Dry things catch fire very quickly. Dry things catch fire very quickly. So if you feel really dry, but there is a thirst for more, we'd love to pray for you. Here's the third group, final group. For those in the room, this language of just freedom and deliverance, maybe you've been pursuing spiritual disciplines, or maybe you haven't, but you're aware that there's a freedom that you're desperate for. and you're willing to come and confess, not just sin, but your need for God's deliverance, you can't free yourself and you've come to that realisation. And there's something in you of like, Lord, I need to experience liberation. So I confess my sin, I confess my need of you come and push back the darkness and break in with new light. If you're in any of those groups, can I ask you to do a brave thing just to push your way out of the rows? Come and stand at the front. We'd love to pray. Believing that the Lord is moving right here, right now, wanting to fan into flame what He's already doing. That's it. For anyone that wants Anyone that's hungry for more of his presence, just come and stand at the front. We'd love to pray for you. That's it.